You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 336 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Fosma Moon. Hey, Foz. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Did I mumble your name that time? I don't think so. I've been, I've been, I've been told that I, I mumble your name by Seth, so. <laughs> He's out camping, so I can talk about him. And, you know, let's just talk about the fact that he's camping really quick. So he's camping, and then he sends us a text last night that they've moved to a hotel because it's raining. So is it really camping? Is Would that be glamping now? I think it's – I mean, it's not even glamping. It's more like you're just having a vacation. Uh, I mean, the, to be fair, the weather here is astastic. It's been raining basically for three days straight. Oh, so it's like a nasty Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, it is not the weekend to go camping. Yeah, yeah. So, and I know it's headed up his way down from the New York area. So, I, yeah, mm. it's not going to start until stop until sometime late tonight. Oh wow! Makes you wonder: Does our former producer have uh, his boat out? You know, when I asked him a few weeks ago, it still he still didn't have a date. Oh, so it's yeah. unclear if we made it out for the weekend or not. Uh, Hopefully, he got it out on Thursday because Thursday was a great day to be out. <laughs> Friday it became astastic. <laughs> Um, well, since it's a holiday weekend, we're doing a little bit of a shorter, it'll be a little more of a shorter show. We'll still have a little bit of a bonus topic we're going to talk about, but let's, let's just dive right into, I guess, the biggest story from the last week, which is, um, the hijacking of the Ryanair, and we call it a hijacking, the hijacking of the Ryanair flight, uh, by Belarus. And the reason I say it's a hijacking is because this plane was forced to divert and taken over by the government, right? The military was involved and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's strange, right? You know, seemingly normal flight and you're going on your way and the country you are flying over says they got a bomb threat and then they send deploy fighter jets and force you to land in their capital yeah not give you the option of where to go and then conveniently arrest one of the passengers on board as being a dissident two apparently it was the uh the activist and his girlfriend oh and the girlfriend i didn't realize the girlfriend yeah as well and oh. apparently there were also four belarusian people on the plane who might be working for the government who helped orchestrate it from the flight perspective. Jeez. And, and I saw that the report was, uh, the actual bomb threat paperwork didn't come in until after the plane had landed. So like, like when it was generated, like the bomb threat, uh, you know, I guess they have to do a filing or something didn't actually happen until after the plane. So it was not a real bomb threat to be clear. Like this was orchestrated by the government to specifically arrest somebody. Yeah, it really makes you wonder, though, right? Like, generally, once you've, if you are a, um, an enemy of a state, and once mm-hmm. you escape, you're generally free as long as you don't go near that state. This is probably one of the first incidents we've seen where that is no longer the case. Like an over, an overflight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it opens up some interesting questions. I mean, you know, there's, there's Chinese dissidents. Right around the world, there's, um, and they have, they have a huge piece of the airspace over Asia. Um, there's Russian dissidents all over the world. They have a massive piece of, <laughs> of important territory, um, airspace. Uh, and there's other countries, you know, all over the place that, that have dissidents who they want. Uh, I mean, I mean, we could make the case, right? That, uh, who's it? Snowden or, uh, who's the WikiLeaks guy? Uh, Assange. Assange, like either of these guys who over, if they overfly the United States, we could force their plane to land and, and arrest them. Um, which it's just not good, uh, policing. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good politics. I don't think it's good anything. Uh, it, it, the, the, the ability to fly over your country is, you know, part of, uh, just, uh, 
just the way the world works. Um, it hasn't always been that way, but it's the way the world works right now. And apparently that's changing. Right. Well, it's, what's interesting is I forget the name of the carrier, but the Belarusian state flag carrier, they basically canceled all their flights through the fall. To oh, Bel- Bel- Belavia. Yeah. Because, because they can't overfly anybody because France, Germany, I think the UK, others have said you can't overfly our country because of what was done by. Well, they've all withdrawn their light rights to f- overfly as well as land. So they've basically mm. for, you know, said, well, I guess we're not going there for the next three or four months, five months, whatever it is, and canceled everything through the fall or until the fall, I think. Hmm. Um, and so that like they clearly are not expecting a quick resolution to this. Yeah. I think, I mean, politically, I mean, really the only, the only recourse for this is that, right? Having, you know, forcing the state carrier's hand. Um, but also I think there's like some political, uh, pressure that needs to be probably be applied, right? For us to, for Belarus to, 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 to let up on this because, or admit the wrongdoing or, and release the guy, in my opinion. Well, I mean, at least what I was reading, the Europeans are demanding that they will not recognize Belarus or allow anything until they have a proper democracy. And I feel like that's a little overreaching. Right. Well, well, and that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm like that's like it's one thing to ask them to make this incident right, but asking them to change their entire state organization that seems a bit overreaching. Well, I feel I feel like they have to say something like that, though, right? Like you, you can't just kind of let it go and and say, "Well, you're you're not a democracy, and that's okay. You don't care about your people." Like that's I feel like they need to say they have to have some kind of humanitarian response, which is you need a democracy, a functioning democracy. Um, I, I also feel like they they hold little power in all of this. Yeah, they can say no overflights and they can avoid Belarusian airspace, but for how long, right? Like like as travel picks back up, as airlines are flying to Asia again, um what's what's now to stop? I mean, Russia and Belarus are kind of in bed with each other. They're they're buddies. Um maybe Belarus arguably is an extension of the Russian state. Um what you know, does Russia say we can't overfly Russia? Are we back to nineteen, you know, nine early nineties, late eighties? Uh, you know, no more. Everyone's got to go over the poles to get to to Asia. I mean, it's an interesting question, and I mean, Russia so far has said they're not making a judgment call until they understand everything. So they're trying to play the neutral angle right now. Mm-hmm. But if they do, I mean, at the end, if they do end up siding with Belarus, Russia has a lot of control over Europe's energy supply. That's that's true too. But I mean, more importantly, too, like just travel, right? Like we're a travel podcast, fuzz. Uh, like just traveling, like the ability to overfly Russia to get to places like Japan. Yeah, like yeah. Thin air becomes effectively ineffective now. I mean, you're gonna have to go an hour, two hours out of your way um, to fly uh, from Finland to anywhere in Asia or anywhere in Europe to Asia. And does it because you have to avoid Russia? Well, and does it give an advantage to the non-European carriers then? Oh yeah, well, it might be in Cathay back from the dead. Yeah. But like the Middle, <laughs> the Middle East carriers, the you know the Asian carriers, right? As long as they're not the ones boycotting Belarus, so it does give them an upper hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how much no fly space there kind of is now over Europe, right? We have Belarus. There's Crimea that's still pretty much avoided just for safety reasons, uh, and Syria is pretty much avoided. Uh, and last I checked, most of uh, Israel. Um, was being avoided or if, if they, if it could be. So, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy how much up and down Eastern Europe into the Middle East is being avoided now. <laughs> it's crazy times. Yep. Yep. Um, let's talk about something else that's crazy. Domestic airfare. <laughs> yes. We are, you found some interesting quirks, right? Like we are now, we have now adopted the bizarro world of revenue management. 
<laughs> and when what is and what is that? I, and I, so I've been consistently looking at a couple of city pairs, particularly United and Hub to Hub, like Newark, Houston, Newark, Chicago, um, LA, and San Francisco. Don't this doesn't apply to them so much, but uh, Denver. They're basically, the connecting hubs. Yep. And what I am seeing is outside of two weeks, airfare is more expensive than within two weeks. Wow. So. Um, I've got to go to uh, Houston in, in the not too distant future, and I waited until s- days, six days in, and my ticket was half the price it was um, on the outbound. Then it was uh, two weeks plus out, and, wow. I, and I have to buy my return. And I've started steadily watching ticket prices go down from you know, it was like five ninety eight to five thirteen to four sixty three, and I think it's now just getting to three ninety eight. So, oh, one, my apologies that you have to go to Houston. Um, <laughs> okay. Two, two, this is, I mean, so is this applying only to one ways that you're seeing or is it applying to round trips? Like, is it both? doesn't matter because they're all prices mm-hmm. one ways now anyways. We're not, we, I don't think we domestically have done anything with mandatory round trips in mm-hmm. eons because of all the competition from low fare carriers. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so they're enforcing this at as, as a one way basis. And within the two week window, you're seeing prices kind of nosedive yeah. in, in both cabins, in both cabins. Um, and what's your what's your theory on the, on the reasoning line? So my general belief is right now we are a leisure. The airlines are surviving in leisure traffic, leisure travelers plan. They do not do things off the cuff. So probably most most people, particularly ones with uh, children, they're going to plan at least two weeks out. So to capitalize on uh, generating as much revenue as you can, and then as you get in closer, the flights that aren't full start filling them. Mm. So prices start to drop. They want them to go out. You know, they, again, revenue management. We talked about revenue management on here before, and the goal really is load factors. You know, full flights up to eighty percent is like the goal because if you're flying at eighty percent, you're probably making money on that flight. Um, above that, right, you run the risk of misconnects and and you know irregular operations and, uh, making it so that you can't recover. But in COVID times, that's probably not the case as much, right? Like people are probably flying nonstops, or you know they they aren't going to misconnect. It's it's less likely right now. Um, just because there's fewer delays, unless you're me, um, there's fewer <laughs> delays. Um, but so there's, you know, there's a couple things, right? The the hubs I named: Chicago, Denver, Houston. There, are, it's a lot of connect through traffic. So I think that has something to do with it. Now I haven't really seen much of a drop on, like you know, um, historically we would see discounts on married segments with connections through mm. these hubs. I'm not seeing that right now. Mm. The the married segments are, I mean, I, I was looking at going back to, I might have to go back to San Diego. It's like $1,000 each way on a connection. Really? And, and up front, yeah. I'm just like, this is insane. And you think that's, that's a, I mean, San Diego is getting a lot of traffic, right? Because it's a, a leisure destination. San Diego, but- San Diego, LA, I mean, LA and San Francisco are even more expensive. Orange County is oh. even more expensive. San Diego is the cheapest of the four. Wow. Yeah, it's, and, there's some weird stuff going on. Do you see it carrying on? I mean, I don't know if you've looked, but have you seen it kind of carrying on past the summer? Is it, or is it, do you think it's summer specific? I haven't really dug in beyond the summer. Um, but things have been so fluid that I, even if I looked at something, it wouldn't be applicable right now. Mm. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about summer travel in the bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers. Um, but let's, let's, let's focus on these fairs. So I, I, for me, like I, I fly Alaska and United and Alaska is kind of doing the opposite. Alaska is like front loading these super cheap fares for weeks out. And then last minute, you're lucky if you can find a seat because the flights are full. Yeah. I mean, United was doing that. They're not doing that anymore. Mm. And that, that was a weird thing. And so I think there's either they're seeing the loads go up or they're expecting the loads to go up. 
Um, and, you know, Newark, LA, Newark, San Francisco, those prices haven't budged. They are mm. expensive pretty much all the time. But, but, but then if you look at JFK, they're cheap. Nah, they, they've started to go up. Business is like a steady $1,000 now. But, but even like coach fares though, and it goes out empty with people in business. Okay, with one flight a day, how like how much of your market share are you going to regain? That's true. With one true. flight, they're going to they're going to two. They're going to two soon. Not every day. So, not every day, but sometimes <laughs> some days. I mean, it's the most useless schedule ever. Like if you the with their five days a week, right? They'll you can fly if you want to do a long weekend. It doesn't work. Like you can fly it on Friday, but you can't fly it back on Tuesday because it's 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 a morning flight, right? No, right. they don't even have a Tuesday flight when they were doing the five days a week. Oh, they don't have a Tuesday or Wednesday, so either you fly back Monday. Or you have to fly someone else, and they're not trying to connect that traffic too. They've made they made zero attempt unless you want to get up at like you know super early because the the timings of the flights are are morning eastbound and morning westbound. Uh, westbound was evening on LA at least, maybe not San Francisco, but LA. But they uh, they're just not publishing connecting fares. Yeah, well, and I'm doing so. I'm doing. They published one. I'm doing San Francisco, uh, JFK, San Francisco, Portland next week, um, and. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see how much it goes, how empty it goes out. Because I, I've applied plus plus points, you know, I did upgrade mechanism to it, and I'm in, I'm in premium economy right now, in both in both directions. So I'm interested to see, like, do I actually get the upgrade? One, does it work? Because I still have enough experience that's actually working. Um, and two, <laughs> how many seats go out empty? It does work. Okay, it does work. That I can at least tell you. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta say, JFK. Let's just just totally off topic, but JFK's gates for these flights, it has to be the least comfortable. Like there is no social distancing at T seven for these flights. <laughs> it's just it's it's because they have uh, Alaska's two, they have Alaska's Seattle flight and San Francisco flight going out next door, okay. which are three twenty one neos, and then the two seven sixty sevens. I mean, it's packed. It's really crowded. I mean, it was always bad. Yeah, T seven's always been bad. I mean, just imagine. I can well, the worst case is like doing a wide body, like a, one of the Cathay flights when they were there, or the BA flights. It's just like the line snakes around the entire terminal. Yeah, yeah. How do you think United brings back the United Club there? I I think it'll depend on how the flights do. But is there? But I, the reality is there. Those terminals are all short term. So does it make sense to invest anything? Oh, because they're going to tear down T7 eventually. Yeah. And they've, I mean, Alaska has the old United Club space, so I, they can't get that back. Yeah. And I don't. Yeah, there's not a lot of space for them to do anything. I mean, the Concord room's there, which I'm sure BA wants it back when, you know, things yeah. pick back up. So short of kicking out a retailer, you don't. Yeah. Unless you will go into that little purgatory gate area, 11 and 12, down, halfway down, mm-hmm. and build something there. So what what do you think? Uh, let me think about this. Like so that that uh, Concord room space, I actually didn't realize how close it was to the gates because I never like walked that far. Like I'm in Alaska's gate is right there. Okay. Uh, uh, do you think that space is useful for BA or is this something like BA could just say, okay, we're gonna get rid of? I mean, it is their flagship route, JFK Heathrow. Do they abandon that space? Do they I mean, then, give it so, up? And so in. Normal times, there's a security checkpoint that drops you off right there. Oh, there is. Okay. Yeah, so there's. And you go straight into the lounge. You basically walk right up that little ramp and you go right into the lounge, okay. um, and that is a premium. That that's where the premium check-in in is. Mm. I think it'll really come down to when things believe when people believe things will normalize versus when will the new terminals be built. Gotcha. I mean, because arguably, right, uh, Americans terminals could handle BA's flights if if they wanted. Right now they could. Normally they probably could not. 
Okay. Because, I mean, you've already got Cathay there. You've got Latam there. Um, There's a Cutter's there. A Cutter is there. But not. I thought it was just one of the two Cutter flights, right? I think it's one. Yeah, it's one. I saw I saw one of the planes sitting out there when I was... Yeah, it might be two now, but before all this started, it was one of the Cutter flights was there. The other was not. Um, and, I mean... BA has like a lot of fucking flights, right? Yeah. If you every hour, <laughs> not, like I think like it's during peak load, it's like every thirty or forty five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, starting at six p.m. So the you, so it's not like you can have one gate that they can you know can just move aircraft in and out of. Um, they they basically need to have these planes at the gates for they need to have four or five planes at a gate between cleaning, catering, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, was the Concord room that full? I honestly, I've never been in the Concord room. Okay, we have a friend who flies BA pretty regularly and comes through JFK. Um, we should ask him. Yeah, I, I would be interested to know how how full it is when you know during normal times. Um, yeah. But, so I mean, back to this, back to this domestic fare. I so I haven't seen this on United yet because I haven't booked anything lately. Um, I, I booked this JFK fare a while back. Um, but I haven't seen anything. I haven't tried to look at and see anything domestically. One, I have no desire to go really anywhere domestically as of right now. Um, I guess Puerto Rico's open, so I could go to Puerto Rico. Um, but is there, is there somewhere you haven't seen this work domestically? Like Hawaii? Is Hawaii excluded from this, you think? Hawaii is expensive. I was looking at Hawaii and Fair last, last night. It's $3,000 in business. From, from the East Coast? From the East Coast. Even the historically, Canada has always been cheap. Those were like over 2500 Mm. And so I, I, I've seen very high domestic premium fares on AA and Delta as well. So it's not just that part isn't just restricted to United. It's just the revenue management that I really focus on United. But the thing that's concerning, right, is if it stays like this too long, fares are not going to go back down. Yeah. Because people are just normalized to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is like we're on the way back to pre 9 11 fares. But I mean, that's not long-term sustainable. Like people can't, I mean, $2,000 from the East coast to Hawaii is not sustainable. Why not? Inflation is happening happening everywhere else. But I mean, like, let's just think about it, right? Like people start going back to work, things, you know, there's less work remote time. uh, And now we're saying, uh, you know, people are going to continue flying to Hawaii. I, I, I just have my doubts. Who, so think about it with high fares, who suffers the most? Business travelers, uh, yes, corporations, not the traveler themselves. Yeah. But from a from an airline perspective, it will, it's low fare carriers. True, right? They take they take the brunt of because they can no longer. They're, I mean, they can definitely try to compete, right? But if costs are high, unless they can maintain the low cost structure in a in a period of inflation, yeah, it can be problematic to the point where then there's a very little difference between them and a major, and then the majors will often win. Simply because the product's better or more reliable, etc. Brand recognition, more reliable. You like you don't like you, you're covered in case of air ops, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Interesting. It, it could be, you know, like I, the the major. I can't imagine the majors caring because it's a way to uh, eliminate some competition, unless the competition can truly stay a, above it. Uh, but I don't know if they'll be able to. Yeah. Right. That, the, to see fares at the levels they are three, four uh, weeks out, that means either they're not matching the low fare carriers or the low fare carriers have, are doing the same thing. I mean, and I haven't even looked at things like, you know, airlines like Spirit or, you know, others, but. Yeah, I, I haven't dug into it, honestly, but it's just, I've been paying attention to United and it's just been like, I've been scratching my head going, how's thing, how are things getting cheaper as you get closer now? Yeah, yeah. 
Interesting. And then uh, for your San Diego trip, do you have? A, are you going to try in the same strategy and kind of wait till within two weeks and see if the fares goes down? Possibly. Yeah, I, I, I might book a Alaska on the way out because mm. they're they're cheap nonstop. Now. Yeah, and get the nonstop. Yeah. Um, but they're not doing that daily anymore. Apparently, um, the last that's so that's the other thing. Let's talk about that real quick. Schedules seem terrible. They are <laughs> like it seems like they like airlines are choosing which days they fly randomly. And then it changes. And I don't know if people are getting rebooked or I'm guessing they have to be. Like I had um, – I was looking at uh, United for like – they have a really – or had a really nicely timed uh, Portland-Newark flight uh, that was – it left at like 9.30 in the morning, got in at like 5.30. It's not great for work, but it's great for if you don't want to, you know, get up at the crack of dawn to get to New York at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And that's now gone. It's now a red eye. It's like, who wants to fly a red eye? <laughs> I don't want by choice to fly a red eye. Like, or unless you're making the prices really cheap, which they're not, uh, I don't want to be on that plane. But it seems like a lot of airlines are doing this. Like Alaska, I've read that like their JFK LA flights uh, are just randomly moving around on which days they sell them, which days they don't, et cetera. Oh, I mean, um, the United's been doing this for a while. Like my, I went, my last trip to San Diego a few weeks ago was the flight – Newark, San Diego, one day was a morning flight. The next day was like a mid-afternoon flight. The third day was an evening flight. Mm-hmm. It's just that it was an evening flight for a couple of days. And it moved. Like even they might fly the route every day of the week, but it's a different time depending on the day. And what do you think they're hoping to – is it just utilization? Because this, this just seems random. I think it's probably less utilization and more staffing. Oh, like how many how many pilots they have available, how many uh, flight attendants, et cetera, available to work? Oh, I think it's probably maximize the staffing, right? You can have someone do like Florida, Newark, San Diego mm. in one trip. Yeah. And I think that's really they're, they're basing it around maximizing the crew uh, to, to keep, limit how many people are being paid on any given day. Mm. And I mean, have you, have you booked any of these where they change? Cause I'm interested to know, like, are they just like schedule changing you and saying this is your new flight and that's it? I have not had one that has changed. Like, but I, when I'm booking it, you'll see different to like, I'm like, Oh, I need to go in the, you know, I'll go in the evening. Thursday's a good option. Let's see what Wednesday is. Well, Wednesday's at 11 a.m. flight. Hmm, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's, I don't know. It's frustrating, right? As a traveler, but maybe it's because I'm so used to, um, the way it used to be, right? I knew the schedule. I knew which days flights, which flights operated when. Um, and now all of a sudden I don't because it seems random. Um, so yeah, they're clearly, there's clearly something else driving it, right? It's not the, it's, this is definitely not from the passenger perspective. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, I think, I think we killed that topic quite well. <laughs> um, I was going to talk about a, kind of a random route, and we'll talk a little bit about some some partnerships. But uh, Alaska has announced they're starting Seattle to Belize City and Los Angeles to Belize City uh, in the winter. Um, so this will be – I think they're doing Los Angeles to Belize City from November 19th to May 23rd. And then Seattle to Belize City um, is going to be twice weekly um, – November 19th through May 21st. Um, the, the Los Angeles Belize City is four times weekly. So that's, that's quite a bit of flying, but the Seattle Belize City is twice weekly. This is the, this is like the most random route announcement I've, I've seen in a while. Like I get it. People go to Belize, but Belize is like, has been one of those tourist destinations that like Texans go to because it's relatively cheap and unknown and kind of off the beaten path. Um, but maybe that's why I guess people in the Pacific Northwest and California are discovering it and they're buying up the property. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, they can't afford where they live now, so let's move to Belize. Maybe they'll envy to be the next John McAfee. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That was Belize, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, and and I, I, one of the oddest parts to me is, let's see, I what's what's the furthest west uh, Hawaiian destination? Is it? It's not Honolulu, right? It's, no, it's uh, is it Kauai on the other side? I forget. Uh, Lahui. Let me let me see how far Lahui is. Hang on one second. Uh, so Seattle to Lahui is twenty seven hundred miles. Um, Seattle to Belize is twenty eight hundred twenty one miles. It's it's. I think it's allocated to be a six and a half hour flight. I think is what it's blocked at right now. I mean, Matt is like stretching it on a seven thirty seven. That's that's far. Oh come on, come on! It's they're not Copa. I was gonna say the worst flight I've ever like the most painful flight I've ever done is L A to Panama on a seven thirty seven under red eye, <laughs> which left at like one a.m. Which I mean that was brutal. <laughs> Because <laughs> I remember like getting to LA at like 10 p.m. Because I flew in and just like wandering around aimlessly waiting to board so I could pass out. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like our Singapore flight. So LA to Panama is 3,000 miles. That's far too. I mean, yeah. that's yeah, that's rough. Were you where were you connecting to in Panama, or were you just going to Panama? I don't. Maybe it was one of the Mexico City runs. Oh, like LA Panama Mex- Mexico City and back. Yeah, because a few years ago they had a they had a Mexico City mistake fare. And I think I like I booked some from different places, but I did L.A. because I hadn't flown that one yet, and I was on somewhere in the West Coast, maybe in the Bay Area. Mm. So I'm just like, oh, I'll do this. I, I've had I've had better choices in my life. I leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, flying L.A. Singapore with you was one of my uh, less smart choices. That was a that was a brutal flight. Uh, it wasn't as brutal as the Island Hopper, though. <laughs> true, true. I mean, the Island Hopper we have stories to tell. I think the L.A. Singapore flight. When when we when I think about it, one it was it's flown on the seven eight seven dash nine with the two 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 seating, and they're not doing this anymore. But it it was it's tight, right? Um, you sleep because it leaves. What time did it leave? Like ten fifty at night? Didn't I? I thought it was a little early, but it was somewhere between nine and eleven p.m. Yeah, and then you sleep because it's like normal time to sleep. You wake up and you still have like thirteen hours to go. <laughs> And you're just like, can this be over? Like, I, I mean, I like airplanes, but. <laughs> that was basically the first time I went to Singapore, like probably 15 years ago when on the 345. I had a very, very busy week, sleepless week, and I was looking forward to just sitting down, eating, and passing out for pretty much most of the flight. And so this is before the T-Bit renovation. So I get to T-Bit, there's no food. I mean, I'm like, what the? F- You're just hungry. I'm You're just like, like I want something, and there's like nothing but like Hudson News. I'm like, I, I'm like, oh. So I get on, I keep together, I get on the plane, I eat, I pass out. I wake up nice and refreshed. I'm like, oh my god, I got some really good sleep. We must almost be there. I look at the screen. Yeah, we're halfway over the Pacific. <laughs> and I'm like, I've got another half of this to go. Jeez. <laughs> You're like, I made a mistake. Well, and I really want to fly Newark, Singapore. I actually have a flight booked on Newark, Singapore, or uh, Singapore, Newark, actually. And I'm, uh, and then I'm like thinking around, I'm like, that's, that's going to suck. Like, maybe the stop in Tokyo wasn't so bad. <laughs> you know, I, I did Singapore, Newark, and that didn't seem so bad. No? No. Like, it, just because timing wise, you think it was better? I mean, it's still a long flight. It's still, you know, 18 hours. It is absolutely a long flight, but I, I mean, that flight leaves in the morning, I think. At least it did when I took it. Mm-hmm. Like 10, 11 a.m. Singapore time, and I remember getting on the plane. And pretty much between eating and sleeping, I didn't really, like, really truly wake up until sometime over, someplace over Edmonton. Because it, it lands at like 5 in the morning in, New, in Newark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah. It did. So it's kind of good that you don't wake up, right? Like, the later you can wake up, the better, because then it kind of kicks you back into 
U.S. time. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is, you wake up over Edmonton, you still have four hours to go, and it's <laughs> one a.m. and or, you're just like, come on. Yeah, you're just like. <sighs> so, so this Seattle to Belize flight, I'm sure it's going to be full, <clears throat> but twice weekly. It makes it really tough to do any kind of one. I can't do a mile drone. So that's my personal complaint because I think it's two days that don't really line up. Like they're, are, I think it's like LA and Seattle running on the same days. Uh, one, there's one day overlap. Okay. So you might be able to do something. Maybe the timing's getting back right now. They're not even selling fares on connections. They're selling Seattle and LA nonstops only. Um, so it, I would love to do it. Uh, I like Belize. My wife and I had our honeymoon in Belize. Um, I don't know that. The winters when I would go down there, it's kind of rainy. I, I guess it's not hurricane season, but it's warm. So, but it's warm. Yeah, it's not hurricane season, so I guess it's a plus. Um, if you live in Seattle, rain's not the issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess I, I guess these will do well um, based on their. I mean, they, they already fly L.A., Costa Rica, right, San Jose, uh, and they, they fly Liberia as well, uh, Costa Rica. So I guess this just kind of adds on to that. Um, it's just a, it's a long time in on their. 737s, especially in the Recaro seats. I flew 45 minutes on one of the Recaros recently. I'm like, this this is a terrible seat, and they need to destroy them and kill it with fire. I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. I, I know. Um, speaking of Alaska, their American Airlines partnership is now offering upgrade reciprocity between the two carriers, and it kind of it kind of sucks. Like, um, if you're flying a co-chair flight, be very careful because chances are you will not be on the upgrade list. So just pay attention. That's all I'm going to say. Just pay attention to what you book. So on a coacher, but what if you book it as the native carrier's code, but you have- you're you better off in those cases. I see. Why? Uh, I don't know. Alaska IT? I, I have no idea. Come on. They both use Sabre. Sabre? Sabre. Um, <laughs> um, Isn't that a type of hummus? <laughs> <laughs> Sabre. I'm, I'm making a reference to the office. Um, so- yeah, I mean they both use Saber, but is it is it working? I think they just ha- I think they have some issues. Like they actually spell out in some of the upgrade language that the code shares for whatever reason just don't get the upgrades applied correctly, and they don't they don't go into specifics. So if you just want to make sure you're going to be on the list potentially and and get the upgrade windows, uh, make sure you don't book a code share. I'd like to see someone argue with an agent to put them on the list, and the agent pushing maxing it's automatic. <laughs> That's going to happen. I know it's going to it's going to happen. Um, the other thing that came up, uh, Seth brought this up uh, earlier in the week, uh, American and JetBlue's earnings, uh, elite earnings and redeemable. I think it's redeemable as well. It might just be elite, but, uh, have now been published. Um, so it's pretty much one to one because they're both using, you know, spend to, to qualify for elite status. But what this, what this opens up for me, more importantly than the earnings and getting elite status, I'm sure I, I what I wanted to ask was what is Seth going to do? Because he loves JetBlue. But he has elite status on American. Is he going to start flying JetBlue and earning on American? I don't know. I, I th- that's a question for the next show. But he has Mosaic um, too, right? He has Mosaic as well, and he—I'm guessing—he wants to keep that status. Hey, I'm always so close to Boston. I've always thought he ends up with the AA status simply because of his work the, travel, the BA trips and stuff. Yeah, not necessarily by choice. It just happens to work out that way, and that was the best place to credit it. Well, I want to know what he's going to do now because now he has a choice. Now he can put all of that into into JetBlue. No, he can't though. He can't put BA on JetBlue. True, but he can put all of the American metal flying. But most of his AA flights, I think, most of his AA credits come from BA. True, yeah. So maybe he'll still earn AA platinum 
Yeah. And JetBlue, you know, Mosaic plus plus, who knows? Um, but my real question of all this for you is with the Alaska partnership, you know, the one world entry of, of Alaska and now this JetBlue partnership with AA, AA seems like they're just kind of, they just seem like a middling carrier. Like it's, it's like, well, we don't really want to fly up and down the West coast. Um, and we really don't want to fly up and down the East coast. Well, just give us the Midwest and we'll be good. I don't understand A, right? They used to have very large footprints in New York and Boston, and they've eroded those over time drastically, right? And so they've left these markets, they've abandoned their customer base, and now they're trying to get back in half-heartedly. And the initial play, at least in the JetBlue stuff, was they could use JetBlue for the domestic connections to feed into international flights. But AA hasn't had a lot of international routes to JFK. They've been trimming that down for years. Mm-hmm. And so they might add a few, but how much is that really going to drive at the end of the net day? Yeah. And why would you add a JFK, which under under normal cir- circumstances is a very constrained airport, whereas something like Boston, you could easily add a few international flights without any real pain. Yeah. Yeah. Are they still, I mean, is Philly still as big of a international hub for them? Or they, have they kind of just said, eh, we don't, we don't really care. Because let's just, let's just recap, right? They had Boston, JFK, Philly. Charlotte, um, which Charlotte was part of the U.S. Airways merger. As was uh, Philly. And, as was Philly. And, and then Miami and San Juan, right? We could, you could call San Juan a hub. Not think, anymore. You for, can't. Not anymore. But I mean, really, it's down to Miami, Charlotte, or I mean, kinda, uh, Philly, kinda. Reagan. Oh yeah. And Reagan. And then JFK. Mm-hmm. Cause what they have at Boston, I don't think constitutes a hub anymore. Can you really call JFK a hub? And they have a whole terminal. Doesn't it mean it mean make it a hub? I guess they're not connecting a ton of traffic through there. I mean, think about it, right? In the best of times, internationally, they've had Milan, London, Sao Paulo, Rio. Mm-hmm. I wanted to use Zurich. Yep. I think those are the consistent routes they fly mm-hmm. in normal times, right? So, because um, they've given up a ton of, they used to fly a lot more out of JFK to Europe, but they gave up a lot of that in favor of just connecting that through London. Mm. Um, Philly pre-COVID did have, well, I want to say a dozen, dozen and a half you know, European routes out of it. Um, I, I mean, I, but they were, I, I don't know how well they performed, right? They did, they definitely did the 752 routes out of there, yeah. but then they started pairing some stuff down. They've been moving some stuff to Charlotte. Um, Philly is, I mean, to be fair, Philly is a constrained airport. You know, while it has four runways, only two are really usable. Mm-hmm. So in some ways it's worse, worse than JFK. But it's, but it's not as busy though, right? Like, I mean, correct. But in the evenings, yeah, you know, five, five days, 8 PM, it gets pretty busy. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand what AA is doing. And it doesn't seem like, I don't know if, you know, if we had Seth on here, he would probably tell us what was on the last investor call. But like to me, it seems like they don't they don't really know what they're doing. They're just kind of hoping. I think what they're doing, I think JetBlue can be exposed over time. I think this is Americans' attempt to foray back into the market to get access to data to understand the real market share possibilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, AA has the ability to grow the footprint if they choose to. I mean, they have a fair bit of terminal real estate in Boston, right? And they have a fair bit in LaGuardia and JFK. Right. Mm-hmm. The one thing they I, I give them credit for is they haven't given up all their terminal space. While they've given up a lot of other things, they haven't given up the terminal space. So they have the ability and to ramp operations back up in some of those locations. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And it'll come down to, I think the problem with Americans, I think they're afraid to get into pissing match with Delta. They, they just don't think they can hold up, right? I don't think they can hold up. I'm sure they could if they did the right things. Um, but, you know, that's the problem. They, they let Delta into New York, into LaGuardia, right? They, Delta K, they had the established footprint at JFK as well, and they let Delta grow without doing anything about it. Um, same thing at Boston, mm. right? But Delta has grown in all three of those markets because of American. Yeah. Yeah. Not in spite of, but because of. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, cause I, I mean, I look at American too, like LA, right? Like LA's this hub for American, but it's a hub for everybody. And Americans connections out of LA aren't great. Um, their hub in Phoenix, not great. And that's really it. Like, I mean, I guess you can go to DFW Chicago, but Chicago's down to, you know, whatever number of flights now. It's not even, it's hard to call it a hub. Chicago is a hub because there's a ton of regional traffic. Up in up into Michigan and yeah, uh, uh, in uh, Wisconsin, the Midwest. Yeah, there there's a ton. They they there are routes they fly that other carriers don't. So there, there's definitely a ton of uh, they've maintained that. And but you know the, you have to ask yourself how much of that is because of COVID and versus not COVID. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard to make some of these determinations right now. If you look at the flight schedules, it doesn't make sense. But if you you know, so Chicago can ramp back up. Um, DFW is DFW, right? Uh, Miami is Miami. These are their fortress hubs, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Phoenix is, they maintain that because I think they, I'm surprised they maintain it. I will leave it at that. But they've moved a bunch of stuff from Phoenix to LA over the years. So. So do you think they're, I mean, they're basically growing Phoenix where they can, is is really what you're saying? I think they're shrinking Phoenix. There's too much, Phoenix is only domestic and maybe some Mexico. I think the occasional Canadian. But, they were, but remember, they had announced uh, their London flight out of there. Yeah, but the BA was running a London flight, right? So, but, like, that's easy, right? Just to connect, move some connections out, away from LA. Yeah. Right? Because at the end of the day, LA has a ton of O&D traffic. Phoenix does not. So, someone coming from, say, San Jose, uh, from Orange County, from San Diego, yeah, they could drive up to LA, or they could just leave from their local airport. Um, or somewhere from like Tucson or Albuquerque or stuff like that, right? They have the Albert, they have the opportunity to go to DFW or to, uh, Phoenix and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so, I mean, it, or Vegas is another good example. Right? Vegas, same distance to LA or Phoenix, basically. Mm. Right. I mean, and, 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 and at the same time, all this is happening, right? They're starting to announce these flights out of Seattle and potentially making them happen. I, th- I think Seattle is because they don't, they can't go to India from anywhere else. Mm. You don't think they could do Chicago? I don't think Bangalore could. They could. I don't think they could do O'Hare Bangalore at mm. Chicago. Gotcha. Um, they. I mean, they used to do uh, New Delhi, right? So yes, they can definitely do New Delhi, but I don't think they could do Bangalore. Gotcha. Okay. And um, I. I think that's what's driving that, and I think that's what drove the Alaska partnership because they don't want to invest the because there's America could easily run Seattle Bangalore and run a bunch of flights to around the country, right? One flight a day, like United used to do with San Francisco before the merger, right? Where you had Pittsburgh, you had all these weird places they fly once a day. Um, Just for all that Asia traffic. So they could have done something like that on 319s and on 175s without too much problem. But Alaska has a footprint. They had the, you know, Alaska was likely going to, it was on the fence of one world anyway. So it made it an easier path of entry and gave them more connection points. Um, without having to make much of an investment. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. 
Um, let's talk about, we got a couple topics left here. Uh, United States is opening to Canadians. So this is interesting. You and I had a conversation with some friends, uh, and people were kind of dumbfounded that they, they thought the United States was already open to Canada. And it is, it was kind of. And I am so lost on this. <laughs> so my understanding is that the United States has been open to Canadians via air traffic, but they are still, um, required when they go back to Canada to quarantine. Yep. And they have to have a negative COVID test. And I believe potentially quarantine here. I can't remember, but, but there was no road traffic unless it was essential. So you couldn't cross the borders, uh, in via car unless you were like a trucker taking goods, uh, into or out of Canada. That's changing. So the border will open to Canadians, um, for road traffic, which is huge, right? Because a lot of Canadians shop in the United States. Um, however, it's not opening the other way. Can- Canada is not opening its border to U.S. road traffic, which I find fascinating because we're much more vaccinated compared to Canada right now. Um, but yeah, that's that's what's what's happening. I don't. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But I don't understand why we would allow that and not demand reciprocity like we so often do. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's a weird call. I mean, but it's it's interesting in the fact that uh, you know this will open up some. I guess finance or money um, for businesses that have probably been struggling along the border uh, because they haven't had their Canadian tourists coming in to buy, you know, whatever cigarettes, alcohol, uh, firearms. I don't know. Um, <laughs> depending on what state you're in. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it would be great I, because Canada is still close to us Americans, even in the air, I believe. Yes. Um, so you can't even, you can't connect there. You can't, Enter Canada. There's a lot of things you can't do, and it, it's it's a headache because I mean United wants to sell you Canadian connections uh, to go international, and, and Air Canada's offering. But you can you can do that as long as you don't have to leave the airport. Oh, is that the case? Yes. So you can do a, you can do a connection. You just can't enter Canada. But that's the problem. So that's what I don't understand. Do I have to like prove that I have a connecting flight? Because right to connect to Vancouver, I have to enter Canada. Unless they have some other system set up right now. Yeah, because you know, you know, in Vancouver, you have the yeah, yeah, yeah. U.S. the U.S. wing, and then you enter Canada, and then you exit Canada. Yeah, and you, you, everyone, all the international, get dropped in the same hall, and then you have to go back in. Yeah, but it's not like that at Toronto. So maybe I don't know if it's limited to certain airports because mm-hmm. Toronto has a connections area. Yeah, that could be it. That's that's one of the things that's bothered me. Is like I would book a connection to Vancouver, but I don't know how it'd work, and I don't want to get in a fight with immigration and get sent back. Do what you did last time. Just go down the wrong way. <laughs> Oh, that was um, so. Uh, yeah, well, I think that's a show. Uh, in our bonus episode, we're going to talk a little bit about summer plans that Foz and I have, travel plans, if any, uh, and just why or why not, and what we're going to be doing. And uh, yeah, so if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can listen to that. Uh, if not, we'd love for you to support us on Patreon, or you can follow us on Twitter at dots lines more dots more lines dot com. Um, leave a comment, uh, ask a question. We we love to hear from our listeners. So yeah, until next time, uh, thanks for listening. Bye bye. Take care.